I had built my ego from the outside in instead of building it from the inside out. I didn't have an inner sense of self. I was defined by all these boxes that I had checked in life and all these things that I could do for others. I didn't know how to ask to have my needs met and just reflect inwardly, why am I doing this? And it all comes crashing, crashing down. My guest today, who I'm honored to be sitting down with, truly embodies the concept of making your mess your message. Internationally renowned neurologist, researcher, and traumatic brain injury specialist, Dr. Jonathan Fellis is more than just your typical brain doctor. He's a lover of language, steward of storytelling, medicinal mushroom forager, and one of the brightest and creative minds in the field of neurorehabilitation. Fueled by his intense desire to problem solve no matter how complex, Dr. Fellis is the rarely tenacious and exceptional out-of-the-box thinker that our black and white healthcare system desperately needs more of. Tune into this captivating and mind-expanding conversation that broaches everything from the concept of free will, the power of integrative medicine, a controversial case involving a Saudi princess in coma, and Dr. Fellis's unbelievable personal journey. Dr. Jonathan Fellis, is that how you pronounce your last name? Fellis, thank you for coming down to Hennessy Studios. And from what I understand, you had to reroute to be here. Well, you know, coming from New Jersey, it's not every day I find myself on the West Coast. So um, I'm one of the rare, I guess, doctors that still does a house call. So there's a patient up in San Francisco I see several times a year. And we we go there and we collect, you know, brain data and we're trying to get her better. But uh, that's what I was doing up there. And we do, yeah, something called brain mapping. Brain mapping. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's like quantitative electroencephalography, which means you're gathering data on brain waves and and you're sort of diagnosing you know, the circuitry and the functionality of the brain, the connectivity. And then from that, we do uh, this thing called biofeedback or neurofeedback. Neurofeedback. So yeah. I want to learn a little bit more about, about that. So first of all, are you a neurologist? I am a neurologist. Yes. You're a neurologist. Which is not a neurosurgeon. Most people say, "Ooh, you know." <laughs> yeah. And so in college, did you have to choose between the two paths of either becoming a neurologist versus a neurosurgeon? That's interesting. Uh, you know, I think I, I, right after I wanted to be a fireman, I thought, "Oh, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon." Yeah. You know, that's like the idea, you know, the the top of the heap kind of if you're interested in the brain, then ooh, you know, you want to dig in the brain. Yeah. Then I realized, no, that's not that. But I did want the brain. I knew I wanted the brain. So yeah, okay. by college I was already majoring in neurobiology, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Just generally. And but you know, college was also a time to really gather lots of information about the brain and, and yeah. And find yourself really. Oh uh, right? yeah. But all, <laughs> you know that's funny. Um I th- I thought I had already found myself. I mean, you know, when when you're blessed early mm-hmm. on with a goal such as being a doctor. Yeah then everything falls into place for you. There's not a lot of decision-making. It's just nose to the grindstone, eyes peeled, ear to the ground, and your face is sore by the end. Mm. You do all those things. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so so neurofeedback, tell me a little bit more about that. How long has right. that technology been around for? Interesting. So, you know, people have heard of biofeedback, but, you know, mm-hmm. when we do it with the brain, it's we call it neurofeedback. And okay. it's... Uh, it's funny how long has it been, you know, the technology started in the fifties, but not until like so many things, right. When you have this technology advances re- early you know, recently, mm-hmm. you can do things faster in real time. You can get it to the masses. You can, instead of it being in the lab, it can be in the home, you know, so it's this, uh, technology that advances that, that allow for this thing to be pushed out. What is it? 
we gather, you know, this electrical data from the brain and then we can fine tune the brain. We can tell the brain, well, you're, you're out of whack in this brainwave frequency, alpha, you know, people have heard of alpha frequency. Mm-hmm. And if, and if there's not enough or too much, then we teach the brain, you reward the brain for making moves in the direction of normal. Mm. And so the, the closer the brain starts to perform to the ideal, to the target, to the normal, then you give the brain a reward. And usually that's like your mo- your favorite movie gets to play on a screen in front of you. Mm. And if your brain deviates or wanders away from the target, then the movie stops. And so we all do things more when we're rewarded for doing them, right? Sure. You go to work, you get paid, you come back to work, you know? And so you can train the brain that way. It's called operant conditioning. You know, B.F. Skinner was a scientist that came up with that. And so it's, it's all about reward and punishment. It's like we don't punish people. We just withhold reward. So. Uh, when my son was young, he was getting seizures, right? And mm. he was just a young boy, maybe mm. like three years old. And it was really scary, right? Yes. And so at first they started to diagnose it mm. as maybe febrile seizures. Yes. Right. And then from there, they're like, well, maybe not. Mm. And so they started to investigate it a little bit more. Mm. And then they diagnosed him as epileptic sleep. Mm. This order, I guess yeah. it's where when you go to sleep, you're not getting the... I, no, you know what happens in mm-hmm. sleep is your brain goes into this synchronous. It goes through different stages and brainwave frequencies. Uh-huh. And it, a part of the main problem, seizures, my daughter has seizures too. Okay. And um, that's a whole other story how she got that. But yeah. Uh, but it, seizures is an electrical storm in the mm-hmm. brain. And when your brain goes into this synchronous, overly syn- hypersynchrony, right? It's too synchronized. Your brain is some tasks call for brain being synchronized, but mostly the brain is doing all different things all over the place. But when it gets, you know, too much in sync, then that's, that's a ripe brain frequency for, for seizures. I see. And then it just explodes and it spreads all over the brain. So, so it makes sense that there is parts of sleep that can trigger that, that overly synchronous brain function. Yeah. But when we were trying to study it, cause they I mean, they experiment with everything, including yeah. steroids and he, he got heavy from that. Yeah. So we would have to go to the hospital and yeah. they would, They'd wrap his head. Yeah, yeah. What was it called? Yeah. EKG? So EEG. EKG is K is the heart. heart. Uh, yeah. C, yeah, mm-hmm. heart. Yeah. EEG, electroencephalo. The encephalo is your brain. That's right. Yeah. And you know, when you're looking at your son and he's like Ugh. six years old and he's yeah. got this thing that you have to kind of go home Terrifying. and he has to wear it overnight. Yeah. Right. Video, yeah. Mo- uh, ambulatory video EEG monitor. Mm. Yeah. 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 So this, uh, this, you know, yeah. it hit home for us. Yeah. Um, it is. And then. When he was maybe like 13, we came to UCLA here and he mm. met with a team of doctors and then they, um, they said that he outgrew it. Yes. That was just, the moment you said mm-hmm. he got it as a child, I was like, oh, there's a good chance that he it could be one of the ones that he outgrows. Yeah. Really fortunate. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So what drew you to the brain when, and when was that? As you uh, said, I, as I, a kid? I think the brain chose me. I mean, yeah, the brain, what, you know, the last great frontier, right? The thing we know the least about, the thing we want to know the most about, mm-hmm. we need to know the most about. You know, it's this black box. We know what goes in. We know what comes out, but we're not really sure what happens inside. Mm-hmm. To me, once I understood, I'm not even sure if I got this from somewhere. To me, it's always been this amazing concept, this paradox of infinite capacity, infinite potential mm-hmm. in a finite space. Mm. Show me anything else that does that in the universe. I mean, how exciting. You can have this contained thing, all right? Yeah. And only a certain amount should happen here, but everything can happen. Mm. I mean, the most creative, everything possible that we've ever... You look around you every day, and this is all created by the brain, the mind. Everything you see. Everything you see. Everything. <laughs> literally, yeah. Literally, yeah. And, uh-huh. and as far as we know, it's the most complicated thing in the universe. So, yeah. you know, to me, I was like right on the cusp. It was the 80s. 
And I was like, oh, finally, this is like a wave that I can ride. You know, we're all looking to ride that wave of whatever it is. Sure. And here it was like, oh, then the 90s gets declared the decade of the brain. I, I was already interested in it. I was just fascinated. I just, I just, uh, you know, in terms of being a doctor, mm-hmm. once I knew I was going to be a doctor, of course, you know, I like to say uh, my parents gave me a choice. They said, you can be whatever kind of doctor you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's wide open. Well, then, you know, the brain is the, it's the most challenging. It's the most unknown. It, I think it allows for the most creativity. Sure. Not just your own, I'm saying your own, but, but in doing stuff to the brain, the book has not been written yeah. on what to do. It really takes, you know, Einstein said, creativity is more important than knowledge. Yeah. So you got to get the knowledge, but then what you do with that relies on creativity. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Were your parents doctors? No, no. I had a grandfather who was a, a doctor. Doctor, okay. yeah. And he had to like even hide during World War II in Italy and mm-hmm. uh, his studies were interrupted and everything. He was a psychiatrist. He was a bit, you know, odd. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have a big relationship with him. Uh-huh. No, I would say I was kind of, you know, pretty much the first doctor uh, for the most part, other than a distant uh, grandfather who I wasn't really close to. But Got it. Yeah. And did you excel pretty well in like, like high school? And yeah, I think college. you have to. It's, yeah, it's huh? fierce competition. I mean, once it's just getting in uh, to a, a, I wasn't into a program. It's mm-hmm. one in 10 that survives, you know, gets into medical school yeah. who wants to. Uh, it's, it's competitive. There's no question. And it should be. I mean, we do want some of the greatest minds going into medicine. Of course. It's a winnowing process. It, it's brutal. It's a brutal, it's a long, 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 long road. I mean, you know, there's four years of college. Right? Yeah. Four years of medical school. Yeah. A year of internal medicine, three years of neurology, and then a year of specialty in brain rehabilitation. So, Or you could just be a TikTok star. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know how to do that. I, I, right. I, well, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know how to do that. I it's a whole new thing. world that we yeah. uh, that we live in, right? And what draws our our kids these days? Because it's fascinating. You see these TikTok stars driving around in like Lamborghinis oh, and please. Rolls Royces and pulling up to the fancy restaurants and getting notoriety, right? Yeah, but at the end of the day, when there's someone sick on the airplane, they're saying, they're not saying, "Is there a TikTok star in uh, on the airplane?" <laughs> <laughs> this man's having chest pain. Is there a tick stuck? Is there a tick stuck? <laughs> I've been called a few times and it's, it's, look, it's a rush. It's, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. I'm fortunate that my passions line up with my talents and my interests and, yeah. and, and that it leads me to have such a, uh, uh, such a, an honorable place, you know, in, in the, the ability to change people's lives. Agreed. Yeah. So you said you flew out to San Francisco to meet with a patient. Yeah. Is that what yeah. you're doing now? Are you I mean, mostly I, meeting with patients? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, 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 I see mm-hmm. patients. Yeah, I take on challenging cases. I'm known for kind of out-of-the-box thinking. You know, once people have like exhausted other places, and people find me on the internet, I have a, I have a, I have a reputation mm-hmm. uh, in the field, you know, that, that draws patients to me. And my patients from 15, 20 years ago find me again, like, oh, we're having problems again. Can we see you? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just the creative approach that I take. It's sure. a, it's kind of no holds barred, but integrative medicine, you know, what used to be called complementary alternatives now called integrative. Now I'll draw upon all these different things. So I tend to see odd cases, weird or challenging. I mean, I see regular stuff too, mm-hmm. but yeah, I have a practice in New Jersey that just, yeah, neurology practice. Got it. And out of the field, like, what are you most passionate about? I think I'm most passionate about just bringing all these tools to bear simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I sort of think of things in, you know, there's, yeah, there's pharmaceuticals, drugs, there's nutraceuticals, nutritional supplements, which I've been totally into and and including even things like, you know, uh, medicinal mushrooms, not psychedelic Mm -hmm. mushrooms, although that's, that's on the cusp too. 
but medicinal mushrooms and many other nutritional supplements for okay. you know, brain function. Mm-hmm. And then the third is electroceuticals. I wish I had made up that word, but that's kind of the biofeedback stuff. What, mm-hmm. what you can do to the brain with electricity to re-entrain the brain that's to its yeah to its normal function. You know, compared to a database that's out there, you can say, well, this is the brain, the picture of the brain, the brain map, and it differs in these different frequencies, and we want to get it from there to towards normal. And the way to do that is in my opinion, by unleashing every tool we have, you know, mm. in different combinations. Yeah. What's the difference between the brain versus the mind? Oh boy. There's a whole philosophical question. Okay. Talk about TikTok. I mean, you could, you could, uh, there's umpteen, you know, hours on the internet of people mm. discussing the mind. Um, you know, it's funny. You say they say psychiatry, you know, deals with the mind and mm-hmm. neurology deals with the brain. Mm. And yet there's a field of neuropsychiatry that deals with crossover, uh, I think that's too big of a conversation to have. Within the brain, an hour the brain and the mind. Yeah, the brain, <laughs> the brain and the mind. I mean, look, I, the fact is we really don't know. I and mean, the mm. fact that we don't even know what consciousness really is. The closer we get to it, the more elusive it is. It's just like, you know, it's like sand through your fingers. It just kind of, uh, I think I understand it. And then no, we don't really know where it sits. We know clearly the mind comes from the brain, but how it is functioning in parallel so it sounds like the it's, brain is the subconscious when the mind is the conscious. Uh, the brain is the meat of is the hardware, and the mind is the software. How's okay, that? that's a good way to there, put there it. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to yeah. put it. Yep. Yep. So you're listed here as a traumatic brain injury specialist. Mm, yeah. Like, give us an example yeah. of like what is a traumatic brain injury? Yeah. So you know, our brains weren't really designed to go 60 miles an hour or smash into things or the, what we call acceleration deceleration forces. Yeah. Yeah. The brain is really a really delicate thing. It's kind of like they say it's the consistency of toothpaste left out in the sun Hmm. and it's barely being held together with, you know, just the, the the skull is your helmet. You know, it's there. It's, there's a reason it's the most protected thing in in the, in the body. It's encased in bone. But if you shake it or if, if your skull hits and your brain keeps going, then your brain bounces off the skull and it, and it can bounce back and forth and it can tear these very delicate fibers in the brain, right? These pathways and connections mm-hmm. that that kind of ro- there would be rotational forces direct forces, and it can torque and twist and pull the brain only can hold itself together against so much force and the, the forces we have around us these days are way too much so sports injuries right repeated forces yeah. falls assaults car accidents um unfortunately case of like congresswoman giffords and that kind of thing you know sure. gunshots mm. uh, psh, i mean Let's not even talk about gunshots lately. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yep. So that's a source. So we, mm. those are called penetrating brain injuries as opposed to most brain injuries are closed head injuries. And it's any any force that's exerted to the brain that exceeds that the brain's ability to absorb that shock. So there's a difference. Be, damage. There's a difference between a brain injury versus a traumatic brain injury. No, um, yes, you're right, actually. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. good. We talk about acquired brain injury as the whole field, like stroke mm-hmm. is an acquired brain injury, but it's not traumatic. Yeah. Um, what about Alzheimer's? Is that Alzheimer's is considered a neurodegenerative disease. So we don't consider that acquired brain injury. It's not an injury. It's a disease. It's a degenerative. I see. So mm-hmm. traumatic is the forces and the non-traumatic acquired brain injuries are things like a stroke or a, a toxic exposure or a sudden lack of oxygen or a drop in blood sugar to the point where, you know, your brain just starts kicking off cells that just die, you know. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm sure you've seen your share of, uh, I guess, really rare or abnormal cases of traumatic yeah. brain injury. Any things you want to talk about or share? Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I talked about in my training took me to the end of the earth in terms of brain neurology. And then I've chose neurorehabilitation as a subspecialty. Okay. I would say within neurorehabilitation, right? Putting the, the nervous system back together after injury, disease, dysfunction. My sub subspecialty is traumatic brain injury. Okay. So yeah, you deal with really challenging cases. You get weird calls about, you know, you're, you're associated with a, you know, I'm associated with like a brain research foundation and, you know, they get some notoriety. And so patients get funneled through there. And, and suddenly a few years ago, we start, you know, we, we did a lot of hard work on patients who were in coma and vegetative state, right? Hmm. Coma, eyes closed, nothing going on, you know, uh, nobody's home, you know, uh, vegetative state, your eyes are open, you're going through sleep wake cycles. And then if you emerge from that, then you're kind of conscious, but barely conscious. But below coma, the lower end, you know, even, even worse than coma is brain death. Mm. And, you know, brain death is equated in most countries with actual death and to the point where in most countries you're allowed to just pull the plug. But once you're diagnosed, once you meet criteria for being brain dead, mm -hmm. where your brain can't even do the most basic functions like heart rate, and blood pressure and temperature, at least in coma vegetative state, you're doing the vegetative functions. Sure. We don't even like to call it vegetative state anymore. It's called unresponsive wakefulness state. Got These it. things are not easy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you deal with brain death, you're like, well, that's considered irreversible. Like in the definition of brain death is once you meet those criteria, you will never get out of there. Mm. You will never emerge to a higher state of function or consciousness. So we got called on a, you know, a case in Saudi Arabia, a princess who's, you know, brain dead. So mm. a team of us went over and we went over four times and eventually we proved that, well, she was brain dead and now she's not. Well, that's like, heresy. I mean, that's like, yeah, you're, that's not supposed to happen. So, like so we publish, yeah, an <laughs> mm -hmm. act of God. Exactly. So, well, maybe things aren't as grim now. Don't get me wrong, Jason. I wouldn't want to live that way. You wouldn't want to live that way. We wouldn't want our loved ones to live that way, but can we learn something from these extreme examples mm. where what we do to intervene, like I said, drugs, electrical, nutritional supplements, can that improve even a little? And then can we use that information to apply to other less severe cases? So yeah, so we turned around a case of brain death in Saudi, you know, Saudi Arabian princess. Um, again, when I say turn around, I yeah. mean, you know, no longer considered brain dead, wow. which is again unheard of. So we published that. We dealt with another case here from California, uh, Jahai McMath, who went in for tonsillectomy, came out brain dead. Only person we know in the United States, she was issued two death certificates. She was issued a death certificate to leave California. She came to us in New Jersey. We treated her. She was no longer brain dead. And then she died years later and needed... Now New Jersey has to issue a death certificate. Oh my God. It's crazy. So, huh. so these are just sort of fascinating, you know, things that I get to be associated with. And huh. uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was visiting a, 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 an orphanage in Morocco. Okay. And I walk through and there's this young woman. She's 25. And she's like cackling and howling and laughing all day long. And she's like drooling. She's got a bib. She's, you know, and I was Have like, you ever oh, seen anything like that? Yeah. Or? I mean, not to that. That was an okay. extreme. I deal a lot with uh, people who either laugh or cry okay. uh, inappropriately or excessively. It's a reflex. It's a, it's a disinhibition. It's an impulsivity. It's, it's, you know, the brain, it's like removing the, the, the brakes on the brain. Now the brain is just going to do whatever the hell it wants. And mm -hmm. one of those things is laughing, crying. So here she was laughing. It was an extreme case. I said to my colleague, I was like, I know exactly what this is, you know, except we're in an orphanage in Morocco. I'm like, well, how can I use the medication I normally use to treat this? So mm. Sure enough, I eventually, a few months later, I get this medication there and I'm, I'm like, you know, emailing, tell me, tell me how it comes out. Like give her one of these, you know? And, and, yeah. and finally weeks later, the message comes back. Um, no more laughing. 
no more changing shirt four times day like a different person. You know, wow. so it's like broken English, like miraculous. It's like, it's just like a miracle. You give her the right drug and she stops laughing. She stops drooling. They don't have to change her shirt four times a day. I was like, I hadn't even thought of that. Right. If you're laughing all the time, you're drooling. Sure. Like, so I, I believe she didn't even, you know, she didn't develop language. I, I'm, I'm like, maybe if she had been treated really early in life, she could have actually developed Had language. a different life. Yeah, yeah, a totally different life. So, And what what do you call that? Where That's like, called pseudo, it's a terrible term for the for the disorder, the syndrome, pseudobulbar affect. I prefer to call it affective incontinence. Okay. You can be incontinent of urine, often when you get damage to the brain. Mm-hmm. And your, your, your emotional display to the world, we call affect, can, you can also be incontinent of that. You can't keep it in check. Hmm. And so uh, there's a drug for that. And I, I started using it as soon as it was available. And I met the guy who, who invented it here in California. He invented really? it. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Wild. To invent a drug like <laughs> that, you have to go through all of the FDA. Yeah. Or, yeah, huh? yeah, he did. I mean, he was, he was in search of a drug to treat ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. I see. And instead, he, because those people also, Lou Gehrig's, you know, they also have this thing where they'll laugh or cry yeah. totally uncontrollably, like out of the blue. Sure. Nothing, nothing triggers them. Hmm. And what he discovered is, oh, look, this is a drug that treats that. Mm. And then he pivoted to that and developed that over 10, 15 years, sold it to a drug company in here in California. And then I heard about it from another colleague. It was like, he saw a patient of mine, like crying all day long. He's like, you know, there's a developing a drug for that. I was like, oh yeah, what is it? Mm. And he told me, and immediately the next day I, I prescribed the active ingredient and it worked instantly. Wow. And I was, I was, I was just blown away. You know, here I was in this brain injury unit toiling away and like you're trying anything to help these people's lives get better and wow. just incredible. And the nurses look at me like, what the hell did you do to that patient? So, Got to love modern medicine. Huh? Yeah. Well, again, creativity <laughs> yeah. because the drug wasn't available yet, but I was like, oh, well, I kind of know a piece of it is like this and I can get it that way. And so I just, I just hate the word no. I yeah. Just, I, I don't accept no. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk a little bit because like there's yeah. on the sheet that I was given, there's you in front of, mushrooms oh right? yeah talk yeah. about being creative yeah yeah, right? yeah 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 well there's those, there's those kind of mushrooms yeah yeah that was being um, resourceful i think yeah. so some, yeah. you know we had uh we had a gentleman uh that was on this show that would get headaches mm-hmm. they're called cluster headaches yeah, You're familiar with that things. oh yeah 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 um, ice pick in the eye is what they, they describe it as yeah and when he was explaining it i'm like oh my god like sometimes you get a migraine and you think that's really bad but no. amplify amplify it's by 100 percent. yeah even worse yeah. and so what he did was he found psychedelics right yeah so it's interesting how you kind of go outside of yeah. the orthodox normal totally yeah right, i'm solutions. all about you know Again, there's enough people out there doing what's orthodox, Mm -hmm. you know, why, you know, that's, I'm not going to stand out. It doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest me to follow a recipe book, you know, I like to, I like to be creative. I like to be the chef in the kitchen. So I'm a chef of the brain, you know, I'll I'll create new dishes. Mm. That's just, that's just the way I see life. Yeah. Uh, You, you mentioned, um, comas, right. Um, you know, just for my understanding, for instance, my brother was in a a traumatic motorcycle accident where they had to amputate his, uh, right arm. Jeez. He had crashed yeah. and fell off wearing a helmet. This was in New York. Yes. Went into a coma. Yes. That's um, traumatic brain injury. Does that happen because your body can't deal with the pain and it shuts down or what? Why yeah. do, why does the body go into a coma? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, your consciousness is shut down. The connection between your sort of reptilian brain that you, that, that is what functions when we're asleep. Okay. Yeah. Most people, you know, like on TV, you think, oh, coma, you know, they just, the brain is sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. Except that 
you're not supposed to just wake up like you do from sleep. You don't just do that. From sure. Home. It's a, the brain is shut. The conscious part of the brain is shut down because the connections that go from the, like I said, the reptilian basic part of the brain up to the wake, wakeful conscious part of the brain, those connections have been either severed or, or functionally shut down. They've been stretched. They've been, there's swelling. Mm. They're, they're, they're just not, they, you know, it, the, the electrical signals are not getting through at a sufficient amount to light up the bulb. The bulb has been turned off. You know, the electricity is mm. still back there in the, in the fuse box, Yeah, but it ain't getting to the bulb. Mm. That's coma. That's a coma. That's a coma. Yeah. Okay. Lights are on. Nobody's home. And Lights then, are barely even on in a coma, you know? And so the body could either go into a coma or doctors can induce brain. Coma, the coma always is brain. Oh yeah. Doctors can <clears throat> induce coma through anesthesia. That's for I surgery. See. Yeah. You're put mm -hmm. into basically a coma for surgery. Yeah. Got so that it. you don't feel the pain. <clears throat> so that's where you may get that part about, oh, is it to avoid the pain? Uh, <clears throat> no. If if it was a motorcycle accident, likely he had damage to his brain. I see. That caused him to go into a coma. Got it. So I hear that uh -huh. you might be able to help me. <laughs> So I, I got a Macy's bill for about $700. <laughs> My wife went shopping uh, uh, and then I got another bill from, uh, and so I hear that you uh, have worked with creating a solution possibly yeah. for, for this. Maybe tell me a yeah. little bit more about people that might uh, have yeah. a, a thing about shopping. So there was that drug that I told you for laughing and crying. And I told you that laughing and crying is an impulse, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, a disinhibit. You can't keep, you can't inhibit the reflex to, yep. to laugh and cry. So, you know, I was called you know, to be on CBS, whatever. And they said, oh, there's this new, uh, not, there was a study that discovered this is old, um, Alzheimer's medication helps people with compulsive shopping disorder. Okay. And can you come on and talk about that? And I was like, yeah, I can talk about it. Interestingly. And, uh, it's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, that drug for Alzheimer's. Well, I have this other drug that works similarly. And this is the one for laughing and crying called yeah. new Dexta which is basically cough syrup. Weirdly, the active ingredient is found in cough syrup. Really? Oh yeah. It's a whole crazy side story. Okay. But so I started asking my patients, I was like, when I treated you with this medication for your laughing and crying, didn't you tell me something you had like a shopping problem? I'm like, oh yeah, that shopping is totally gone. I was like, really? Mm. You, you, tell me more about that. Like, why didn't you talk about that? Oh, it's embarrassing doctor. Nobody likes to talk about, you know, their bad habits of that course. are, that they can't afford and they're doing anyway. And they feel it's like an addiction, right? It's like mm -hmm. a drug for people, retail therapy, right? So yeah, so I finally, I was like, well, wait a minute, let me just start asking everybody about shopping. And turns out when you have a lot of people have a shopping problem, even hmm. people who are like hoarders, how do they get that stuff in the first place? You know, they're ordering stuff off the internet. I mean, look yeah. at Amazon, it's gotten easier and easier and easier to accumulate stuff. And so I was like, well, if that's an impulse to shop and crying is an impulse, and then, oh, by the way, people also have suicidal thoughts. And I was like, well, all three of those things are like impulses that can't be controlled in the cognitive realm. I'm, I, my life sucks. How do I change it? I'm yeah. Suicide, behavior, shopping, and then psychiatric, like psychological, like mood is crying and laughing. And I was like, well, I think maybe what if all these things are kind of controlled by the same switch? Sure. So I started unleashing this drug on more and more people across that spectrum. And sure enough, it worked almost every time, almost mm. every time and really quickly. So, yeah. So then I went back on CBS and now I said, well, hey, because you guys asked me about this shopping thing with this other drug, it turned me on to this. And here, here are two women. I brought two patients on and they talked about how this drug totally curtailed their compulsive shopping. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. So 
Like, I didn't think that would be like considered a problem, first of all, right? But then to no. go to a doctor and get diagnosed uh, a yeah. medication to help yeah. with that. Yeah. Well, lots of people are in psychotherapy for that. And, you know, and like, they're, yeah, it's a big problem. And people keep it secret. I mean, nobody hmm. wants to flaunt that they're got a problem at all, let alone, you know, guilty pleasure of just, you know, shopping. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. it's an impulse control disorder. Think of it as uh, impulsivity. We think of it as, as impulsivity, this, 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 this desire, you know, when you see something, you want it. Yeah. Kids do that. Uh -huh. Kids are uninhibited. They sure. haven't, they haven't developed the brain yet to restrain what's appropriate from what's inappropriate. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. But mm -hmm. humans, we adults, I mean, not humans, adults, yeah. we have that and then we can lose it through damage, injury, disease. I see. And so we're, we're disinhibited. Kids are uninhibited. And then there's on the opposite side, I know uh, we do work with attorneys. Um, we'd help market them. Um, yes. And I believe there's a drug, I'll have to get fact checked on this, but I think it's called Abilify uh -huh. um, that does the opposite. That's right. And it makes you want to go out and gamble. Mm. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's, if, if, if this happens with Parkinson's patient who gets treated with dopamine, they have a gambler, the dopamine drives gambling yeah. and hypersexuality sometimes too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Abilify has a little bit of dopamine problem in it. It's got this balance and, um, yeah, there is some side effect of that, I guess. I mean, I've worked a lot with attorneys and lawyers and yeah. other things, not that particular drug. <clears throat> I mainly work with them with this injury stuff where, you know, they've been injured in an accident and they're, you know, home. Mm -hmm. How long are they going to live and everything? Yeah. So, yeah, normally Abilify actually suppresses people from doing bad things, but there are side effects. Probably. Yeah, there are side effects that are weird. That are yeah, quirky. there's there's a mass tort um, yes. that was going around around that. Yeah. So that's how I'm familiar with it. So what are some of the advantages, I'm sure there's disadvantages too, about knowing and studying how the brain works, right? Oof, yeah. What are the advantages or disadvantages to the, how the brain works? I think <laughs> literally it's hard to get out of your own head. I mean, we, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people are sort of caught up in their own thoughts and everything, but I'm actually always thinking about the, the mechanics of it, the, the, the chemistry of it, the electrical of everything that's going on in the brain. Yeah. I mm -hmm. can't turn my mind off so easily about thinking about the brain. It's this loop, you know, ironic loop. Like, yeah, do you know too much? I don't know. At the end of the day, I'd rather, I'd rather know, know too much and try to be solving these problems than necessarily be a victim of it. But, yeah. um, I think there are advantages, but you know, like anything, you have to use your powers for good instead of evil. Of course. <laughs> so I do the same, right? So like for 20 years, I've reverse engineered and study how the Google algorithm works, right? And so if I do a Google search, I know exactly why, why the yeah. result is displaying for yeah. me, right? And you know, I know the inner workings, I know why the content is written the way it is, right? And so I can't not see that, right? Just because I've studied it for so long, right? But right. for me to subconsciously choose to put my arms like this or move my fingers or bite my nail. Right. Ooh. Like Free there's, will. yeah, there's reasons <laughs> why I'm doing that. Um, and I don't think about it. You it's know so I mean? interesting when you were talking about that, the, the Google and the algorithm I'm thinking mm -hmm. people believe that they have free will to search, but they don't, they're getting fed an algorithm. <laughs> yeah. They know people are manipulating about. Right. the algorithm. Others are manip exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think that, yeah, that, the extension of that is, you know, do we really have free will? I think we have the illusion of free will. Mm -hmm. I've only come across recently, there's this guy, Sapolsky, a professor out of UCSF, something like that. But he and a bunch of other brilliant thinkers are really coming to this conclusion 
Yeah. Do you have free will about, you know, which shirt you put on or what you eat for breakfast? Okay. Yeah. But those are the small stuff mm -hmm. but in terms of like your overall complex behavior that leads you to, to, to seek out certain things in certain ways and get there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that sort of complexity of behavior more and more, it's being shown that we really are fooling ourselves. If we think we have total control or free will or choice over that, it's a consequence of our genetics, our upbringing, where we're shaped in society and cultural and all this stuff that we cannot fathom, you know, trillions. I mean, the brain is doing trillions of computations every second. Mm. Trillions. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> that's I mean, that, So that's mind boggling. Literally, figuratively, <laughs> it's mind boggling. Yeah. To consider the enormity of that. Yeah. You know, and then you look at like sometimes the smartest people that you know, overweight, right? They know that they have to eat healthy. That's they true. know that they have to exercise. They know, right? You know, <laughs> it, it does amaze me when I see uh, smart people doing stupid things or people who should know better doing yeah things. Look, I'm, I'm human too. You know, I certainly have done plenty of things I should know better. I think that's a consequence of not being mindful and being distracted and, be, you know, overextending yourself and not taking the time to be present and mindful and considering, you know, why am I doing this? What are the consequences of these actions? So when I was a kid, like, for example, like you, you walk and you say to yourself, like, if I step on this crack, something bad's going to happen. Right. Yeah, you know, like yeah. even like obsessive compulsive, right. Yeah, you know, somebody yeah. puts the ketchup down, it bothers mm -hmm. me. Right. Yes. I want to put it back up. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that nature? Is that, I mean, we are largely wired for that. Look, everything's on a spectrum, right? Every, we're learning, you know, with autism, you know, yeah. spectrum, but really everything is on a spectrum. That's why it's called a spectrum. Sure. I'm on the spectrum. You're on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Just a question of where, sure. in, in what. So we're all on the spectrum of OCD. Some of us, it's dysfunctional yep. and it tends to get worse with age. And it's, it's probably mostly a control issue mm -hmm. where, you know, if things are out of control, otherwise in your life, at least I can control this. Sure. At least I can control this right in front of me right now. Yeah, You know, it's the illusion. That's kind of back to the illusion of control, right? Mm -hmm. We're all deluding ourselves. I think, I think I actually came to really this a few years ago. Like, I think we're all living in our own singular delusion. Hmm. We all think that the way we're doing it is the right way. And I believe this way. And this is my interpreter interpretation of reality and the facts. It, it, the goal is to try to have a shared reality. And, and increasingly that's a problem, say in politics, for example. Yeah. Um, but largely we have enough of a shared reality to function as a society. But I think deep down or not that deep down, right? Just below the surface. Mm -hmm. I think we all are living in our own separate delusional reality. Yeah. Huh. How's that <laughs> for that's, a psychiatric? That's, yeah. yeah. Psychopathology. Yeah. And then there's that. It takes three seconds to make a decision that could put you in jail for the rest of your life. There you go. Right. Absolutely. Literally three Literally. seconds. Literally. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, people do things and they're good people. And all of a sudden they make that wrong decision yeah, in three good seconds. Good people can do bad things. Yeah, yeah. Right. Otherwise good people. Do you, or maybe some of your colleagues, you ever study that at all? Is it the brain? Is it the mind? Um, you know, like I see on TV, right. Yeah. People study, um, like, um, well, criminality, yeah, yeah. criminality, the mind of murder. Like yes, yeah. yeah. We're back to this, this guy. I mean, he's like my newest idol, this guy, Sapolsky. Uh, you just watch any, any interview or lecture of his yeah. and it really, it's, 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 it's like a, a, a liberal's wet dream because nobody is to blame for anything technically, you know? Yeah. Um, once you consider that the, we really don't have free will on these sort of deep things or you're so shaped by like I said, genetics and your upbringing and society, and you're so shaped by these experiences that 
it's hard to break with your destiny. Hmm. Hmm. I don't I study that, but I'm okay. fascinated by the study of it. Got it. I don't have the wherewithal to go there. But on the other hand, I deal with people who, because of injury and disease, I see that every day. I see that manifest, that they can't keep their behaviors in check. They hmm. cannot, they don't have brakes. They can't put the brakes, the reins on the rain when it comes to certain things. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I see that. And then I wonder, oh, is everyone on that spectrum then? And how do we know that guy in jail, you know, didn't get his head beaten in or fell off the counter as a child or, you know, yeah. Yeah. car accident, <clears throat> any of that. Sure. That led to his, yeah, impulsive behavior that landed him in jail. So what is the voice inside your head? <laughs> <clears throat> well, you know, Freud, that would be kind of your super ego in a way, sort of saying, oh, you know, is this the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing? I need to feed my ego, right? Ego in the sense of sense of self. Yeah. Not ego. Most people think you say the word ego, they're like, oh, I got a big ego, you know? Yeah. No, it's Freud, <clears throat> in the sense of Freud's ego. This is your core sense of your who you are as a person, right? Mm-hmm. And and so really it's the superego that's saying above that, it's like, mm, which is your frontal lobes basically saying, it's like, is this the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? Uh, why, you know, I want to do this. How do I get to do this? How do I get more of this? Does this feel good? You know, this yeah. feels good. I want to do more of this. And then it's balancing it against the, the the constraints of of society. You know, how much of that can I get that I like? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the voice inside of your brain. That is your mind. That is your consciousness. But we still don't really even understand, like, where consciousness lies. What is the... We, so many people are studying it. We really don't know. Yeah. And in most cases, you live inside your own head yes. and not inside the real world. That's right. That's, <laughs> right? Well, that's, that's we're just, back to this delusion. Yeah. yeah back to the idea, of, this notion of... Yeah, this is my world inside here, and yeah. nobody else has access to it. Yeah, nobody. Uh huh. In fact, you asked why the brain. You know why? Because we know every freaking stinking little detail about every other part of the body. Yeah, and you can even like replace parts. You can do a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. Guess what? If you tried a brain transplant, you wouldn't be you. Yeah, you would be the person that had that brain. That's right. So we can't rebuild brains. We can't grow new brains. We're trying little little ways, but. So to me, it's the ultimate singularity. It's 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 the most unique thing there is, and you can't mess with it because it wouldn't be you. Well, I've seen something mm-hmm. recently. I'm not sure if it was Elon Musk or he's somebody. Trying. He's trying. Yeah. So, um, what is he trying to do? He's trying to get it so that you can kind of like almost like make a download of your brain. Neuralink, I think, is his. Yeah, that's, that's right. That, yeah, Neuralink. Yeah. Um, Do you think yeah, there's interface. a possibility? Of it is. You know, I, I worked briefly for Ray Kurzweil, the you know the futurist, right? Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence, uh, consulting to Kurzweil, and um, it convinced me. Once I started reading Kurzweil's books and listening to him talk, we we really are v- rapidly approaching the singularity where you know it's the end of of humans, the beginning of of machines or mm-hmm. machine humans. You read the book Sapiens, and the sequel to Sapiens by Harari is called Homo Deus, Man as God. You know, we are creating, we're going to create this new life. We are going to create this new species. It is not far away. The exponentiality of things is just, is, it's not just we're going like this, mm. we're going exponential. Mm. And so we're getting there faster and faster and faster. And yeah, we, we are already on the cusp of this brave new world mm. where man and machine meld be fascinating to see what the world looks like in like 200 years. No, you won't need that. 10 or 15 years. Is that right? If you can just stay alive 10 or 15 years, you will probably live for, you'll probably have the opportunity to live forever. The person who will, the first person to live forever has already been born. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you don't get into a you know horrible car crash, you know, where your body's torn apart. Yeah. There is very likely 
the chance that you will, we will all have the opportunity to live together. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's there not right. a great thing. There we have it. <laughs> you just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, See? wow. <laughs> On that note, let's talk about mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about, about blowing mushrooms. minds out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psychedelia. Yeah. So I don't deal with the psychedelic ones. No, but, I understand but, well, that. Close. Yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. I, I am getting, uh, I am opening my mind, so to speak, yep. uh, uh, pun intended, to the notion that this kind of micro dosing of stuff and yeah. Yeah. Look, I prescribe uh, ketamine, nasal ketamine, which is for treatment-resistant depression. right? So, Isn't it? You know, ketamine was used for animals. Well, right? that's, for, they say it's, yeah. it's a horse tranquilizer. That's yeah, right. but it's also used in humans. I it mean, is. people, it's used in humans for anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Used as a as a uh, recreational drug, dissociative. People want to check out. They want to dissociate from their bodies. Yeah. I mean, there is a little little bit of that as a side effect from when you use it to treat depression. But yeah, it, it, it so it's an example of how kind of a mind expanding experience can relieve uh, depression. So if you really want to learn about this, watch the one hour documentary called Fantastic Fungi. Okay. And they really go into the whole story of mushrooms. And then they really conclude with this uh, use of medicinal mushrooms like psilocybin, right? Magic mushrooms Mm -hmm. or other substances, maybe like, you know, ecstasy or whatever, mind consciousness expanding drugs to overcome the worst of the worst, whether it's PTSD or depression, or coming to terms that you're dying of cancer, and how do you live with that notion and still function for the time you have left? But I came to mushrooms really before I got to that point. I really came to mushrooms foraging, and I'm at a farmer's market. I was like, "Oh, where are these from?" He's like, "Oh, some of these are foraged locally." I was like, "Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you can just go into the forest and get mushrooms like that." Yeah. And so I started doing that, and then he taught me more. That guy, and within a year or two, I was selling back to him. I was going out into the woods. Here it is, Jason. I get exercise out in the woods. I hate going to a gym. I'm not a gym guy. I want to get exercise. I want to be in nature. I want to pursue food, good food. I want it to be free. And ultimately I realized someone's going to pay me to do that. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That is like, you know, that is a, that is a dream come true. You know, Uh I get to exercise, I get food. It's the thrill of the hunt, which of course men were just, I think hardwired for that. Yep. And then someone's going to like pay me money to, you know, find this stuff. This is great. (laughs) <laughs> Don't they say that mushrooms mimic the brain, I guess, a little bit? Yeah, there's there? that. So mm-hmm. in, you know, they, uh, Andrew Weil talks, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil, a big integrative guy, the father of, yeah, he talks about it in Fantastic Mind. He's like, why is it, just ask yourself, why is it that these, you know, mushrooms have, that they dock into our brain and do these crazy things in yeah. our brain? It must be because we co-evolved, you know, there's even a theory in Fantastic Fungi that if not for magic mushrooms, our brains wouldn't have expanded as quickly. And those who sampled it had an advantage. They were like, well, we're back to creativity, yeah. right? If you if you suddenly become aware that your brain has this creative capacity, just which is triggered by mushrooms, you know, you're like, oh, so that exists in here, you know? Oh, yeah. I, the possibility is just you know, triple, doubled, quadrupled, uh, you know, what what I can envision, you know, to happen, uh, and so that that's in the movie too, which is the documentary. Yeah, if you oh yeah, watch it. It's really amazing. Without so, drugs, we would not have. Bohemian Rhapsody or, oh. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like Stairway to Heaven. Like, I mean, like. There's another book that goes right. back to 20, it's 10 years old now. It's called Free Radicals. And it talks about how so many of these scientists who had great breakthroughs are now admitting, some of them admitted in their lives, most of them didn't, that they got to those great thoughts through uh, using mushrooms or, or drugs, drugs. Sure. Free yeah. Radicals. I love the title. Yeah. 
<laughs> One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Limitless. Yeah. Have you seen it? Uh, you did. I did. Yes, yes. yes. So, um, <laughs> and for those that might not have seen the movie, it's where a guy takes a pill. It's yeah. a drug. Right. And he takes one a day, I guess. And it just allows him, they say, to open up yeah. almost 100% of his brain, right? right? Where how much do we normally use of our brain? You know, we the potential, they say, maybe 20% of the okay. potential. Yeah. That, that's not to say that we're not using the whole brain. It's, it's just that... <laughs> If you Conscious. did, if you, right. If you pushed mm -hmm. your brain, you could learn, you know, 10 or 20 languages. That's right. And then that would be getting closer to hundred percent, you know, yeah. your, your capacity, your potential. But the movie's so great, right? So he goes into a restaurant with a date and it's a French restaurant and it's a new date and, and the waiter comes up and he starts speaking French and he didn't even know he could speak French. right? And yeah. so it's a great movie. Yeah. Now, if that could be real. Mm -hmm. I might experiment. There, with there that have been drug. people who've gotten hit by lightning can become concert pianists. I mean, there are weird, weird, really? weird, weird cases. Wow. Yeah. People can have a stroke and they speak in a foreign accent that they never had exposure to. Hmm. I mean, there's just all kinds of that. It's really caused me to just keep a much more open mind. I used to be a lot more closed minded and yeah. through, you know, lots of setbacks in life. I've, I've, become way more open-minded, huh. way more open. So photographic memory? Is no, that... me? Oh, no, me? Oh, I'm just saying in general, yeah. like, is that something? It's rare. It's rare. It happens. Yeah. Eidetic uh -huh. memory. It, people who memorize dates. Yeah. Yeah. Like people that. who can't forget everything that's happened to them in yeah. life. Um, there but that's are... all happening from your brain, right? It Absolutely. Just... has to be. Yeah. It can't yeah. happen anywhere else. I guess so. Yeah. Right. Huh. Yeah. I always chuckle in my, I'm, I'm kind of pet peeve annoyed when people say, so I was thinking in my mind, I was like, mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> That's that's a good place to be thinking because if you try to think in your pancreas, it's not going to go well. You know? <laughs> so in my mind, I was thinking, really. No. So so you speak multiple languages. Yeah, right? yeah. I was fortunate enough to be exposed and and pursue. I have a mind for languages. Mm -hmm. My dad spoke eight languages. My mother speaks five languages. I mean, we're, we're like four, five members of my family born on four different continents. So okay. To me, it was just like. Languages were just you know, being mixed up and jumbled, and and my father would be testing me in different languages. You know, what's this called? What's that called? And yeah, and so it really wanted me. I pursued, you know, French and Italian. Hebrew was spoken at home, mm -hmm. and I'll start to pick up languages. My patients, I picked up some Spanish. My patients, Korean phrases. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm curious. You know, curiosity. That's, sure, that's everything. Curiosity is basically equatable to intelligence. Oh, that basically. That yeah, <laughs> that fascinates me, right? When you go to another country and everybody's speaking this language and you have no clue no. what's going on, right? And yeah. But they just fluent, you know, and then you go to a different country and they're speaking <laughs> a completely different language, right? It's like, what is this? And there are different right? ways of thinking as a result. They say just speaking one additional foreign language, one language other than what you're, it can really- Open up your mind. Yeah, open up your mind bigger. hugely. Because you're thinking in different ways, different, wow. different patterns, different, I mean, it's, again, it's like problem solving. That's the other intelligence. Intelligence is curiosity plus problem solving. Is it now? Is it? They say right. It's easier for children to learn multiple Absolutely, languages. Yeah, Why their brain is, is plastic because their their brain is programmed to be a sponge. Their brain is still being shaped. It's growing. It's making connections. Hmm. And once we're older, we're set in our ways. You know, you can shape a child in many other ways. Languages is, is one of them. It's, can you recondition your brain later in life to think like a child or not? Yeah, that's. I think uh, Picasso said that. He said, I've spent my whole life trying to paint like a child. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh -huh. that kind of disinhibition thing again. It's like, can you un throw off the shackles of of um, the, the constraints of being, you know, rigid and, and what you've been taught? Yeah. And it's hard. It takes a lot of work. Hmm. It takes a lot of work.
You just talked about the languages that you spoke mm. uh, at home. Mm. Uh, what was your dynamic like as a, mm. uh, as a kid? Jeez, you know, yeah. immigrant parents, you know, my father's born in Libya. My mother's basically Polish born in Italy. They come to America, they're young and, you know, immigrant parents did not go well. I mean, um, no, it, no my father had rage and uh, he was a hard worker. You know, you, you know, did, did the ends justify the means? I don't think so. Yeah. It was, it was terrifying, uh, growing up, you know, I, through a lot of therapy, I, I came within a few years of, of entering therapy. I've been in therapy 10 years. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me suddenly like a mantra of my childhood was like, you know what? Telling the truth was never an option. Yeah. It would never go well mm. if you simply told the truth. So when you grow up with that warped sense of reality, it, it, it's not going to go well later in life. It's not going to play out well uh, unless you really do some really hard work and learn how it's okay to tell the truth, how it's okay to keep it real. I didn't even know the phrase keep it real. I didn't even, and when I heard, I was like, oh, that's something that the guys say in the hood to each other or something. Mm-hmm. Keep it real. You know? Yeah. yeah. No, I, fortunately, you know, one of my kids uh really was the one who ultimately really sold me on that simple phrase you know i kind of scoffed at it like that's not a real thing keep it real you know yeah so it was terrifying growing up and um again motivated to just uh, you know like i said you could be whatever kind of doctor you want to be it was just again it was just a singular focus on education 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 that is what is valued in a you know a jewish immigrant family Mm-hmm. And that's, that's your way out uh, mm. and up. But I would caution people that don't be so singular minded as I was. Uh, take yeah. a break. Sometimes their kids are so fearful of maybe telling the truth mm. to their parents, mm. right? Yeah. You know, open yourself up to being yeah. so real. Create as a, a safe space where it's okay for your kids to tell the truth and, mm-hmm. and have that dialogue. Like even model that, you know, even say, you know, this is really hard for me to say, but this yeah. is the truth. This is what happened. And, you know, I'm not proud of it or whatever, but yeah. you know, there are plenty of ways to just, um, keep it real with your kids and, and don't drive them. Don't, don't crack a whip no, so hard. That's give them saying. space, give them space to be, to make mistakes. I mean, that's how we learn. If you look back at your life, when did you learn the most? Through mistakes. That's right. So that's what being a kid is. The whole, yeah, that's yeah. my whole. Being a mistake, own up is, to it. Is to fail forward. Right. Totally. I love that. When mm-hmm. I first heard about this mm-hmm. in your podcast and, and, you know, Jenna really, uh, explained a lot. I love that, you know, making your mess, your message, mm-hmm. failing forward. That has really been an inspiration, Jason. I think you're a real inspiration to, to bring this and focus this and bring it to the public in this, in this, you know, package. Thank you. Paradigm. Yeah. Really. I appreciate that. I'll have yeah. to send you uh, one of my shirts uh, <laughs> that say fail forward. So that's how you can love wear it. it. So, uh, so everything was going well and yeah. speaking about being vulnerable, Oof, um, yeah. uh, there was a time in your life where there was mm. a downfall. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was on top of the world, right? Okay. So, you know, you get, you get straight out of my training, right? I get hired at the number two rehabilitation institution in the country. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm running the largest brain injury program in the country by volume and patient size. I'm the first neurologist ever even hired there. The rest are all rehabilitation doctors. Patients are coming, famous patients are coming in. I'm treating people like Dudley Moore and Spalding Gray. And I'm meeting Oliver Sacks, the renowned neurologist mm. played by uh, Robin Williams in the movie Awakenings. I mean, I am on top of the world. I'm teaching, I'm lecturing, I'm being asked to be on TV. I'm traveling to Saudi Arabia. I'm being called, you know, tough cases. I'm, I'm doing medical legal work, forensic work. I'm testifying in court for, you know, lucrative work, boxes of records till three in the morning, you know, but 
I'm finally achieving, you know, I come out of training at the age of 31 after 26 straight years of education. If you start in kindergarten, sure. 26 straight years of education and training, no break, mm -hmm. right? Never came up for air. And now you're on this money train, you know, again, you're helping people. That's the most important thing, but you're getting rewarded sure. for doing what you love. And, mm -hmm. and you, and, but you don't know how to say no, if you've never had a mentor to tell you, you know, Hey, slow down, stop doing so much. Yeah. And we're just off to the races. Everything is top of the world, spread too thin, don't know how to say no. And it all comes crashing, crashing down. Uh, mm. I was, I was vulnerable. So I'm being vulnerable now talking about Thank it. Thank you. But at mm -hmm. the time I was vulnerable to this because I didn't do the work. I, I had built my ego from the outside in sure. instead of building it from the inside out. I didn't have an inner sense of self. I was defined by all these boxes that I had checked in life mm. and all these things that I could do for others. And I didn't know how to do for myself. I didn't know how to ask to have my needs met. I didn't know how to take stock. And um, just reflect inwardly, why am I doing this? Mm. And so I was treating a patient and she'd been sent to me for a complicated you know, concussion. And um, eventually I got into this, what's considered in medicine to be an inappropriate, you know, romantic relation, physical relationship, which is against the, the rules of medicine, certainly for good reason that the statute says, you know, it's almost always harmful to the mm -hmm. doctor patient relationship, understandably. Sure. The relationship was consensual, of course, but only because of the power dynamic in medicine, it's considered to be inappropriate, but it was never predatory. And it was, it was just, uh, should not have been in the context of medicine. And, um, even though, you know, she kind of made the first move and even though it only lasted a few months and I realized, came to my senses, broke it off. Mm -hmm. And, um, after, you know, several encounters and everything, she came back and kind of, you know, blackmailed. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of started telling her, I said, I really don't think you have a concussion. I think you may have something else going on. Mm -hmm. You know, long story short, I mean, a couple of years later, she had sued the car that hit her, finished that case. And then she came after me. So she oh, sued no. me. And as soon as that became, you know, I started to lose everything, you know, once, uh, it dragged out over years and, and, and case and law, you know, a legal case and finally ends up in court. But in the interim, you know, the board of medicine catches up and they say, doesn't matter. You know, it's not, it's never right. And, uh, so I lost everything. I lost my license. I lost my livelihood. I lost my family, I lost my wife, I lost my house, I lost my kids, my reputation, mm. um, everything, everything, everything. And on top of that, you know, a huge, um, financial, you know, legal judgment, uh, against me that still hangs over my head. How many years ago is this? Yeah. So this happened, uh, in 2008, I had this, um, you know, again, inappropriate relationship encounter with, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, by 2011, it was kind of hitting my legal problems, mm -hmm. paying a lot to lawyers. It wasn't covered by my malpractice insurance. And so it's out of pocket. And then talk about your lawyers. <laughs> yeah. And then I lost my license in 2014 and it took me for about four years to, before I was, I was able to re start reapplying. And I went through ethics courses, boundaries courses. I really didn't understand the whole notion of boundaries and everything. Again, I think partially growing up in my childhood, you know, and the terror from my father, there were really no, no boundaries, sense of boundaries. So I really, through a lot of psychotherapy, I had to understand this whole notion of, of, you know, you know part of that has been, you know, my, my, my bane, the bane of my existence, that yeah. has also been a boon to my, you know, so it's, it's again, the positive negative sure. is good evil, you know, using it. And I think the fact that I don't, I didn't see boundaries allowed me to think 
outside of the box mm. and be that guy that has that reputation for thing. But it also was my downfall uh, until I really understood it through ethics, boundaries, courses, psychotherapy. So when that was all happening at once, yeah. um, I'm assuming that you were probably in kind of a state of depression. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's definitely depression. The first time in my life, anxiety, depression, you didn't have control anymore, shame, humiliation, guilt, uh, every one of those emotions, um, regret and just, um, self deprecation, just beating yourself up. And you just, you just have to totally, you're falling apart. You're just shredded and you just got to build yourself back. Yeah. So that's the question that I have is mm -hmm. when you're at that rock mm -hmm. bottom, mm -hmm. Rock like bottom. how do you just wake up in the morning and, and rebuild? Like what goes through your mind? Just one day at a time. Yeah. One day at a time, one, one step at a time. They say, you know, just get out of it. Just put a foot on the floor. Just mm -hmm. put one foot in front of the other. Just, just empty your bladder for God's sakes in the morning and see that as an accomplishment. I yeah. mean, you try to just say, build on your little successes. You know, ultimately it's like, hold your head high for all. It doesn't negate all the good that you've done. It doesn't oh. take away your skills, your talents, your passions, your beliefs, That's right. all of those things. And you just go to that well, you just dig deep down to that wellspring of your core. Mm -hmm. And you just try to reset what can, what can I, with what I have here, laid out in front of me, yeah. how can I start to just build back just one step? Down? And you learn who your friends are. There are many people who stand by and you lean, you ask for help. I yeah. think it was one of your, your shows where you said it, by asking was it Meltzer? It's a self, Dave Meltzer. Yeah. yeah, one of the selfish acts you, you can yeah, do. It, yeah, yeah, is, is one of most, for help. exactly. And those that are willing to help you, it makes them feel better. Uh, my body is tingling, tingling right now with yeah. that mm -hmm. that message because yeah. I have I have embraced that message without really knowing it. Yeah, and I have told my patients, you know, reach out for help. Mm -hmm. Learned it through psychotherapy. My therapist says, yeah, you do a really good job of reaching out for help, and not everybody can do that. Yeah, so yeah, I have well, a tingle in my body. It's called a frizzin. There's a, there's a medical word for it. I'm getting goosebumps myself, a man. Frizzin. Yeah, it's uh well, I, I appreciate you being vulnerable with that story. Um, it sounds like you had a lot of time to reflect and grow and growth and, and growth and reflection, forward. growth mm -hmm. and reflection, yeah. and really open it up wide. Again, learning how to tell the truth and keep it real mm -hmm. is such a relief. And I think it's 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 redounded, it's 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 um fed into positive relationships yeah. where now I have, you know, great romantic relationship, you know, that are meaningful Sure, and it's, it's rekindled kind of the meaningfulness of, of relationships for me. Yeah. Well, that was around the same time that I kind of had my uh, mm, low. Yeah. yeah. In 2008. I mean, it's midlife the, crisis. Basically I was 42. I mean, it's, it's a real thing. Midlife yeah. crisis. David Brooks talks about the two peaks in life. You climb, you fall uh -huh. and you're climbing a different peak, you know? So, so for me, it wasn't the midlife crisis yet. Cause I was only maybe like 20 something years old. Oh, you were um, precocious, but I was, <laughs> I was married and I was uh, making investments. I was reading the debt, the book, rich dad, poor dad, and mm. it was way over my head. And then mm. the economy crashed and, mm -hmm. you know, went from super high to mm -hmm. super low, like, what do I do? And so, uh, but yeah, like you, you build it back one day at a time and, and here we are stronger. Yeah. Stronger. And, and sharing our Wiser. message right. to those that might be at their rock bottom right totally. now yeah. that it will be okay. Yeah. Suicide yeah. is a 
permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm -hmm. Don't yep. do it. I hear that uh, you then got into uh, supplements then? Yeah. So I'm yeah. down, you're out, you know, and you're helping. I'm like helping people behind the scenes. Like people still come to me. Like I can still tell them, oh, I can research, uh, you know, for them and say, oh, you should try these supplements. I can't prescribe. I don't have a license. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, unlicensed to heal. Someone suggested I do a, like a serum movie or something. You know, there you license, go. Unlicensed to heal. Uh-huh. I prefer, I have other ideas for series and movies, you know, a little autobiographical, but yeah. so, but I could get into supplements and I was already into it. And this gave me, afforded me time to sort of focus on it. And people would come to me and say, oh, well, I still want your advice on stuff. Or, you know, I can see this doctor and I, you know, I work with this doctor, but I, I mm -hmm. can tell you what to do. And ultimately this family comes to me and they're like, oh, well, you just told us what to do. It helped immediately with my demented mom. Hmm. You know, you should really, you know, package this stuff or somehow rather than and I realized pretty quickly, very few people will go out and buy, you know, 20 bottles and take 30 pills a day. I mean, actually, Ray Kurzweil talks about taking 130 supplements a day. Wow. Again, uh -huh. not individual, right? Like yeah. Combinations. Um, so he's got, and he's got longevity. You know, that's his goal is, is immortality. Yeah. Um, so eventually, yeah, I put together uh, with a team, I headed up a team of brain guys, brain scientists and doctors, mm -hmm. and we put together a substance called Norella. I like to think of it as a brain, uh, an umbrella for the brain that protects your brain or a helmet, like from the inside out, an internal helmet. Okay. that's always with you every day if you take it. Hmm. And no matter what happens to your brain, this will soften the blow. Hmm. And, you know, it's all the stuff that we know about antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, adaptogens that are like shock absorbers for the brain. And our goal was really, you know, transparency, integrity, and quality. And because so many of these other supplements hide behind a proprietary blend, we're like, nope, we're going to tell you exactly what's in here. Mm. You want to go out and put this together and pay, you know, $250 instead of the $50 a bottle? Go ahead and try it. But mm. here it is. Here's our formulation. And then we're working on a powder version now, too, of called uh, New Fidelity or NeuroFidelity. So. And this is just any anybody can take this. So. Yeah, yeah. This is not a prescription. Yeah, it's yep. available on the internet. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, people order it. It's going well. People have been around five years, six years. People are from all around the world, all around the country, every state. And people, yeah, it helps. And so you know. for those that, you know, start to take it a couple weeks later, what do you feel like? I would say a, a general sense of well-being. You're able to handle more stress. You're able to, to handle stuff more coming at processing speed. Your brain isn't as tired at the end of the day. Hmm. Maybe your sleep, uh, your sleep quality is better. Um, some people have easier time finding their words. So okay. what we call word finding difficulty. Yeah. Um, less stress, just uh, energy, attention, concept. Interesting. Oh, nothing does all of these things for everybody. Yeah. But it's like a menu. Like it'll do some of those things for you. Certainly within 30 days, you'll see some benefit. And then we tested it in early dementia, stroke, traumatic brain injury, and we have some good data. Hmm. Got it. Yeah. Well, I'll have to, Recovery. we'll put a link here for those that want to oh, maybe awesome. check yeah. it out to you buy You know, because it. here I am, right? I'm treating all these brain injuries and I'm like, well, if only these people had been taking this stuff there before, I'm giving it to them after the fact. What mm -hmm. if they had taken it before? And I was like, I know what the general population is missing. I know what they're not getting enough of. Hmm. I will check it out and hope my listeners pick it up as well. We will send you a couple bottles. Thank you. In exchange for your shirt. <laughs> there it is. That's a fair trade. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a phone call from a cousin that changed your life. And then we're going to move into what we call Hennessy yeah. heart to heart, which yeah. if you listen to the show, you kind of know. So there I was again at the depths, of, like you said, rock bottom, you know, everything's going wrong, mm -hmm. you know, alienating from, you know, wife and family, kids, house, everything. And my cousin here in California, he's a film uh, guy, Alex. Mm -hmm. And he says, John, uh, are you sitting down? Cause, um, I just got this phone call from this woman and, uh, 
she's looking for, you know, some answers and she's trying to track, track down. Sounds like she's trying to track you down. Oh boy. And I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, well, remind me, John, like, was it college or was it med school? Like you were a, a donor in a sperm bank. Hmm. Okay. And you're like, just, you know, I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Wow. That was anonymous. That was supposed to be anonymous in the early nineties. You know, my buddy in med school says, come on, John, let's go make some money. I was like, what do you mean, Elliot? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Go make some money. Like he's like, well, let's go to the sperm bank. And I'm like, so ironically I was accepted. He was rejected. Okay. And for a couple of years, you know, so here, here was this woman 25 years later was on her birthday. She cold calls my cousin. Why? Because he had been on like 23 and me. Okay. Right. He had done this genetic thing. So she, in an effort to search for me, starts just sending her, you know, getting on all of these different genetic platforms. And she's like a 7% match with him. And she says, so I think your cousin would be my dad and he would be about six feet tall. He'd have black curly hair. He'd be a doctor by now. And then he's like, and then Alex is like, he's telling me this stuff. <laughs> and he's like, oh God, John, sit down. And he's like, cause he's like looking up on her Facebook. Yeah. He's like, okay, here comes the photo. And I'm like, bingo. Yeah, that's it. Gotta be. That's, that's my daughter. Wow. Yeah. That's Molly. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah. So, what was going through your mind at that point? Man, you see your life just pass. Yeah. You see your life pass, uh, you know, uh, through, uh, you're just, your everything is, and, you just have to reassess everything. All of a sudden you realize, okay, I've got a 25 year old, or I've got, you know, two kids at home, sure. uh, that are maybe eight and 10 at the time. Uh -huh. And, uh, you're like, wow, this wasn't expected, especially not now. Oh, maybe if I was on top of my game, maybe I'd want them to know who I am. But sure. Now is not the time. Sure. You know? now, now, like, what do they say? It's never a good time to no. have kids, right? Yeah. If you wait until a good time to have kids, well, here you suddenly have, you know, adult children. Yeah. Huh? And boy, she was on the war path too. She was like, hey, eventually, right, as we talk and get to know each other, it's like, thanks a lot for the brains and everything and all the talents, but you left me among the idiots. Like, how could you do that? Huh. So it turned out, and then she was already in touch with others and, eventually, you know, came to know that I, so far I have eight uh, donor offspring. Well, and you've only met one. But no, no, no. I've, I've now met seven out of eight of them. Have. I have a pretty close relationship with about five or six of them. Wow. Regularly. And all over the United States. All over States. the United States. Okay. Yeah, mostly from same-sex couples. You know, in the early 90s, you weren't even thinking mostly, you know, two female same-sex couples looking yeah. to have children. I thought, oh, there are plenty of infer infertile uh, heterosexual couples out there. You know, okay, well, if they... I have good genes. I have, you know, healthy genes. I sure. have, you know, they obviously, they want the, you know, the certain features tall and, you know, med school and whatever. And yeah. so it was, it was quite, you know, only a year and a half, two years. It was good money. It helped me, you know, survive the rigors of med school. And, mm. um, but wow, it's not what you expected. Nobody could have envisioned. Not later in life. Yeah. Nobody expects it. Yeah. yeah you're not that they come knocking, but they weren't looking for money. Everyone thinks, ah, oh, they're looking for money. No, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for like, like, love and affection and acceptance. And then ultimately I realized, you know, that's, that's what I got out of it too, is that it was like unconditional love. It's like at the end of the day, they didn't care what I was, who I was or whatever. They just wanted, it. they wanted to know where they came from. Yeah. They wanted to know a lot more about, you know, where did they come from? Hmm. I guess that's a thing now, right? So uh, people want to know. Yeah. yeah you yeah. can go and yeah. try to explore yeah. and find yeah. out. What are your, who, what's your cultural background? Where do you, right. oh yeah. What's your backstory? What's your mm -hmm. genetic backstory? Well, this is kind of an extreme, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not just, Oh, where did my ancestors come from? But we're all, I think we're all looking for that. Yeah. I think it grounds us.
Great story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. What do the kids have in common? Wow. I mean, the, the similarities are uncanny. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, many of them play the same instruments that I did, that my son at home plays. I mean, really? they said, yeah, like saxophone, clarinet. And uh, we have same interests like volleyball or poetry or just the interests are, are really uncanny. Hmm. Um, how, na- how strong nature is over nurture, you know, um, uh, not all of them are raised Jewishly, but but the ones that are have kind of a very interesting connection. You know, one's a lawyer, one wants to be a doctor, one's in the other health, you know, social work. I mean, mm. uh, passion for food, passion for health. Um, it, just their, their temperaments are all kind of very similar. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. They all have black curly hair. You know, most of them have like black curly hair. It's, like, <laughs> it's crazy. It's like wild. It's You know what it is? It's like this, it's what I call the back to the future effect. Yeah. It's like, you know, Marty McFly. It's like all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm about 50 at the time. And these kids are about in their twenties. And I'm like, oh, I remember like that. I yeah. like, remember being that I'm like, oh my God, all of a sudden I was from that to this. And then I was like, oh my God, my kids at home are like young. And then like fast forward, like 10, 15 years, they're going to be like these kids. I'm mm. like, that's okay. Like they're going to come out. Okay. Yeah. Even if they were raised in a shitty, you know, upbringing, uh-huh. like with miserable, whatever. Yeah. They've got the tools, they've got the skills, they've that's got the, right. the personality of the, the, the raw material I gave them. And that's really um, gratifying. It's really, it's really, yeah. Wow. I'm so proud. Mm-hmm. Even though, yeah, I can't say I'm proud because I raised them. I'm just, no. I'm just proud that I put that into the world and it came out okay. That's you know? right. Yeah. Better than okay. Uh-huh. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move to something called Hennessy Heart to Heart. Love it. Bring Simple, it Simple, ask question, <laughs> you, whatever comes through your mind, you just go with it. So... What is an eye-opening lesson that you learned throughout your life? An eye-opening lesson. I would, I would say, um, take a break. Yeah. I mean, just, um, get off the train. If you're on it, just, um, tend to yourself, tend to your inner garden. I mean, don't, don't just do what you think everyone else wants you to do. Mm -hmm. Don't do what you necessarily even need to do by these external things that drive you, but, but, um, pay some attention inwardly. That's what we today call mindfulness. And, you know, mm-hmm. just make space to take your temperature, take your inner temperature, yeah, examine it. your core. Thank you. What would be your last meal on earth? <laughs> Jeez. It would be, you know, it would be like an orgy of, of mushrooms, all the different edible mushrooms. Uh, I think that would be because, you know why? That would have the best chance of me not dying. You know, they're so healthy. All the medicinal properties of all these really wonderful mushrooms that I forage. Uh-huh. Um, I really think that's why I still have no gray hair. I think that's why I, I don't look 56. Wow. Um, Interesting. Uh, you know, I'm going to credit that. Uh-huh. Um, I, actually you can survive entirely on mushroom. They have every single thing that you need. Hmm. So I, that would my last, yeah, I think I would go out on a mushroom smorgasbord. Okay. <laughs> every, in every form, in every form. Cause then Is, that, cause then that meal would last forever and I wouldn't die. So <laughs> how, yeah. How many different mushrooms are there? Oh, well, there's, there's millions there's, but there's only like something like 30,000 that are edible. Okay. And, um, and of those I have in New Jersey alone, I've managed to find 35 different edible uh, okay. mushrooms. So, oh, okay. Yeah. God, that would, that's an interesting answer to that question. I appreciate it. <laughs> sure beats my eggplant Parmesan, right? <laughs> like, okay. I am a foodie. There's no question about it. I'm deaf. I love to cook. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really got enjoyed it. it. My father eventually became a caterer, so he was a great oh, chef. Got it. Yeah. What's an exotic or remote place that you've visited? That, that I have visited? Mm-hmm. I, 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 India. Twice India. It's like another planet, especially yeah. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like I had been like, yeah, dropped onto another planet. Got it. And in terms of, yeah, remote or whatever, I, um, I think Morocco is very special too. Very exotic, just exotic. But India was hard. It, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't vacation. It was travel. Hmm. Yeah. Big difference. Got it. I've never been there. Uh, I, well, I, I almost didn't visit. survive it. I mean, just, wow. just getting ill and say, not knowing how to keep healthy and just, man, uh, talk about Montezuma's revenge. It's just awful. I mean, uh-huh. dangerous too. Dangerous. Sure. Dangerous place. So you seem like someone who isn't easily shaken. Is there anything uh, that surprised you recently? Anything? Yeah, is that I can just have such a depth of relationships in in ways that I never, I never imagined that 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 the quality and the satisfaction that I can derive from close relationships, whether it's uh, a romantic partner or these um, kids that find you or my own kids mm-hmm. that I raised, mm-hmm. and through the you know tribulations of you know medical illness and one of my you know uh, my older child at home. Um, just the depth and quality of, of that you can just, you can just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper with relationships. If you, you know, tend tend to them, yeah, open, Mm -hmm. open yourself up to them and and nurture them, water them, feed them, you know, careful. Oh yeah. What's your greatest fear? It's funny. Everything that I've been through, it's almost like I don't experience fear Mm -hmm. uh, anymore. It takes a lot to scare me. I would say to not be appreciated or valued. Mm. My greatest fear, yeah, is to not be able to experience everything that the world has to offer in the wonderment uh, alone, Mm. Uh, is to have, so to have the right partner and to experience life. Sure. Where's your happy place? (laughs) In the forest. uh, Yeah. Searching for edibles, not just mushrooms. There are other wild edibles, you know, ferns and weeds and stuff but definitely out foraging discovering it's the, the thrill of the hunt the adventure um and the exhilaration and the health benefits of it being in nature exercise uh and then going for a swim afterwards and then and then cooking those those mushrooms in in the kitchen yeah that's my happy place yeah. next time i'm in new jersey or new york i'll have I'll to come visit take you we'll on a foraging on the, outing the yep. journey yep what makes you laugh really hard irony Irony, irony, irony. Yeah. yeah huh. You cannot cure me from punning in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Wordplay, uh, cleverness and wordplay, especially with my kids, that's what really keeps me uh, laughing. And then, yeah. Yeah. Huh. And, and, you know, some TV stuff, sure, but yeah. uh, a comedy. Yeah. You have any pinch me moments in your life? Tell me what a pinch me moment is. You know, where like, you're oh, just, I can't believe this is so awesome. Pinch me. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. on TV. I'm on, you know, NBC right That's, now talking about what I'm so passionate about or whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm going to take a step back and answer, answer it unconventionally. It's like, it, it's almost like when I was like preparing for this and reviewing, we were going over kind of, you know, what things we might talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I think the cumulative pinch me is just how much I have managed to accomplish. And I don't think I ever, I didn't set out from the outset to be this person mm-hmm. i just wanted to be good hopefully great at something and mm. just looking back at everything i've accomplished and uh i would say that's the pinch me 
Okay. Everything that I've achieved under the circumstances, especially that I've had to, that I've either, look, I, I caused a lot of misery to myself. You know, I accept responsibility for all the negative sure. things that I did. Mm-hmm. Totally accept responsibility. Yeah. So if, if your parents gave you other options earlier <laughs> in life uh, to pursue a different career, That's what do you think question. you'd be doing? I probably would have tried to uh, make it like on Broadway or, or in film. I, I think okay. acting, I enjoyed acting wow. uh, in, in high school and college. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed acting. It's never too late. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. right. Yeah. I need, I need a cameo on my own series, <clears throat> you know? <laughs> yep. What is a quality you really admire in a person? I would say, you know, it's, it's really what everyone is focused on today. Really it's resilience, grit, determination. Mm-hmm. Those are the qualities, passion, passion and honesty, but honesty with yourself, you know, introspection, sure. Introspection, resilience, grit, determination, passion with the interface of those things that mm-hmm. whatever that is, that's what I admire. What do you think is most important in relationships? Communication, communication. I, you know, it's funny, uh, Jason. I mean, I generally scoff at anything that's conventional mainstream because I'm such an opposite, you know, creative type. I'm just always headed in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as one example of that is I used to scoff at date night. Hmm. I was like, that's, that's not for me. You know, what's what you need a formal kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what's important in a relationship is putting aside time, you know, dedicating time to check in and build and grow together mm. and communicate. And I regret terribly not doing something to that effect, whether it was date night or something similar. Mm. Good point. Cause there's probably a lot of couples that don't make time for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take the time to call think, somebody, you know, also erotic eroticism, you know, but not just in the sense of sexuality, but if you listen to anything by Esther Perel mm-hmm. and you know, this incredible marriage, you know, relationship counselor, woman, uh, therapist, psychotherapist, kind of sex therapist, uh, eroticism, finding a way to ignite eroticism in hmm. relationships. Got it. Yeah. Do you believe in life after death? That's a big one that requires you to I was always taught in my kind of spiritual faith upbringing that um, your focus should always be on the here and now. If it comes later, it's gravy, it's cherry on top. Yeah. You can't rely on that. So every all your energy and focus and attention needs to be on the, the here and this life. Mm-hmm. And I think I would say that I believe that the legacy you leave, including children and what you've done, the impact you've made, that is your life after death. Anything else I think is speculation and kind of woo-woo. It would be nice, but since we can't prove it, I'm not going to dedicate my time and energy to that. Mm, okay. If you can change one thing about the medical industry, what would it be? Mm. More people like me. I don't mean that in an arrogant sense, although yes, I am just a touch arrogant. You know, because I, 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 I realized recently it's mm. like, I want to be the doctor that I wish would be on the opposite side of the hospital bed if I got into the worst case scenario. Mm. So I want to be that aggressive, you know, uh, creative, you know, answer seeker. Mm-hmm. So uh, that I wish that medicine would uh, would not be so rigid, that they would be a little more creative, um, and that there would be room for compassion and to have less intrusion by the insurance companies. Mm. <laughs> And the last question to anyone trying to live a more fulfilling or purposeful life, what would you advise them? 
That's another thing I scoffed at was meditation. So, you know, you don't have to like go, you, you said it's very difficult to meditate, meditate. I, do, I yeah. mean, to quiet the mind, you know, mm-hmm. but just find a source kind of something. Um, your question was one thing message to improve their. Yeah. If they're living, if life. they're trying to live a more fulfilling or fulfilling, purposeful, life. purposeful life. Yeah. What, what, what can they, uh, Yeah, do? it's, it's kind of cliche, but you really find your passion, you know, find uh, play to your strengths. Don't mm-hmm. try to be something you're not. Um, be who you are, pursue that passion, make a difference in that way and go from there. Start from that, that core, you know, starting point of identify your strengths and dwell on those, meditate on that and then channel them into something that is meaningful and uh, you're passionate about. And, uh, you know, take, take, just be mindful and aware of kind of how things make you feel and the things that make you feel good do more of that and, and try to find a way that that intersects with your strengths and your passions and your skill set. Yeah. Break out your comfort zone and mm-hmm. explore. Yeah. I would risk. say try. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. try more things. That's right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Push yourself into places because otherwise you won't know if you're, if you have the skills and the passions That's in right. that area. Absolutely. Yep. Say yes. Right. It was it. Yes, man. Was that the movie? About yes. That? Yes, man. If you say yes to everything. <laughs> everything. Yes. <laughs> That's we're an extreme, gonna, but you know, we're going to give our daughter Brooklyn a yes day. It's a good, um, that'll theme. be fun. It's a good uh, theme. Yeah. That's so sweet. <laughs> well, Jonathan, what a great journey you've taken on us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for making your mess, your message. Like we talked about earlier, if uh, people had questions about Nurella mm-hmm. or if they wanted to get in touch mm-hmm. with you, how would they mm-hmm. do so? Yeah, I think they would go on, uh, Nurella.com yeah. and, uh, there's a place for questions there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or my practice is advanced neurocare. So I think it's advneurocare.com. And there's a place uh, to post questions. People ask questions all the time. And i um, happy to try and answer anything that I can. Well, great. I would think you would be a good TikTok star. So I look forward <laughs> to that coming soon. You know, a couple um, of patients, they were like, I have a great idea. You should be on TikTok. I was like, oh, I, yeah, I, okay. Yeah. You right? need a lot of work and energy. You need to really. Uh, well, you have so doing. much wisdom, right? And sometimes Thank it's you. just a matter of getting it out in short two minute clips. So it'd be uh, interesting to follow. So maybe. I, yeah. Yeah. Get out of your I comfort someone, zone. Yes. I need someone to guide me. Yeah. Okay. That's a promise. I'm going to try that. <laughs> well, thank you again. Appreciate it. And uh, safe travels back home to Jersey. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to sort of take a, uh, a ride back you know, through what my life has been. And thank you, Jason, for doing this for everyone. This has been the Jason Hennessy Podcast. This show is produced by Whitney Welsh and Jenna Kershaw, engineered and edited by Josh Fisher, and recorded at Hennessy Studios. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 